Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your holy throne again this morning, Lord, to worship you. For you are worthy of all glory and honor and blessing. Even your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who sits on the right hand of power, who after having finished the purification of sin, was set on the right hand of God because there was no more work to be done. For he finished the work of salvation of all those that you gave to him. And all those who are in him are blameless. And they have this imperishable hope, the hope of glory. And we pray, Lord, that this morning you remind your people by your spirit, by your word, of who they are in Christ and what Christ has actually accomplished for them. That their life is hidden in Christ. It may be hidden to their eyes. It may be hidden to their senses, but it is hidden in Christ. So, Lord, may you give us understanding of your word. Help your people. These whom you have gathered here and those that are far, all those who have the blood of Christ on them. We pray and we thank you, Lord, for this hour. May you bless us for the sake of Christ. We pray in his precious name. Amen. Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. It's going to be a good read. I like to read the stories and then talk about the story and then the gospel. Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. And I'm going to be reading from the NKJV. Then he said, that's Jesus. A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the paws that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to this, to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he had music. And dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young God that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with hallows, you killed the fatted cow for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. The title of our sermon is The Gospel, Pig Duty, and the Prodigal Son, and his communion. Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11:26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink, this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So as long as we gather together as God's people, those who profess Christ, those who have run to Christ for their salvation, those who stand on the righteousness of Christ alone, we commemorate, we remember the Lord's death. So the bread and the cup proclaim the Lord's death. And Matthew records for us and says in Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So the bread is broken because the body of Christ was broken on the cross for us. Broken on the cross by God's judgment because of our sin that had been put on him. And his blood was shed to usher in, to bring in, to inaugurate the new covenant by which our sins could freely be forgiven. Our sins are freely forgiven. Forgiven without cause. That's what freely means. They are forgiven without cause. No cause in you moved God to forgive you. And so our sins were freely forgiven 
in this new covenant that was established in and by the blood of Christ. So the blood of Christ, the death of Christ was the merit, the ransom payment by which our sins were paid. And that is how God set us free from the captivity of sin and death and from condemnation. And the new covenant is the legal framework in which this transaction happened and the paperwork of our salvation was signed and sealed as finished by his blood. But what does it mean to proclaim the Lord's death till he comes? Is it going about shouting or chanting, Jesus died, Jesus died, Jesus died? No, to remember the Lord's death is to preach the gospel. It is to preach the gospel and the death of the Lord as the transaction that brought life and forgiveness to us. It brought righteousness, reconciliation to his people. And his people will never have peace until they understand how we actually are saved. You will never have peace even as a Christian. There are a lot of Christians who are in spiritual turmoil. Why? Because they still don't understand how they became Christians. So without justification, there is no peace with God. And without peace with God, there's no peace even in yourself. And you can't make peace with other people. Why? Because you're just a sinner. The only reason why I can forgive anybody is because I've been justified. That's the only basis. Beyond that, I'm not forgiving Stan. He stole my smoke machine. (laughs) And so this gospel permeates every book and chapter of the Bible in one format or another. And in the story of the prodigal son, we find the same gospel preached in a magnificent way and we'll go in to dig for nuggets, gospel nuggets. We'll develop the story and then we'll extract the gospel message. And so we'll go to Luke 15 verse 11 where we have been told by Jesus that a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. So this man had two sons. And one of them decided, as it were, to get his inheritance before the father had died and the father seemed to not have any qualms he did not seem to have any problems in releasing early the part of the inheritance that belonged to his son and so he allowed his sons to take their portion of it so he obliged himself to the demands of the son and gave him the portion of goods that fell to him 
and not many days after, we are told, this younger son gathered all together, bid them farewell with a hug and a kiss and maybe with some tears and journeyed to a far country, a distant country. He wanted to be as far away as possible from the father, from the sight or the hearing of the father, far away from those who knew him. He did not want anyone to hear about his shenanigans. (laughs) And so he thought increasing the distance between himself and his family would be the way to go. (laughs) So he journeyed to a far away country, and there he wasted his possessions, all his possessions with prodigal or careless or riotous living. And as we would let learn from the older brother, from verse 30, the older brother says, this son of yours devoured his father's livelihood with halots. So this son was a party boy and he led a carefree life as he consumed all that he had been given by his father. But the party did not last very long. Verse four to verse 14 to 16. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the paws that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. So at some point, given the way that he was parting, the party had to come to a stop. The car ran out of gas. He ran out of resources. And it also happened that there was a severe famine in that land. It always happens. That as soon as your resources have run out, suddenly the car breaks down. Or your health or something that needs money fails. So without any savings, the young man found himself in desperate need and with no good options went and joined himself to the lowest bidder some citizen some native of that far away country who hired him not for a fly job but to feed his wine the the, the young man was not making hamburgers he was not washing dishes he was not bussing tables He was feeding swine. This native of the far away country had the right of employment. He had the right to employ all who came into this country. Even those without their papers. Very important. We are working some good theology. The prodigal was most likely a Jew, and as a Jew, pigs were unclean animals. And so he found himself in the uncleanliness of the animals, breaking the law. 
is breaking the law. The circumstances that he found himself in explained his spiritual condition. The physical circumstances of his life exegeted, explained his spiritual condition. Pigs are unclean animals according to the law. And so he too, by being joined to the pigs, was saying what? He was unclean. Now I studied agriculture and animal husbandry in high school for four years. And at my boarding school, we raised about 200 pigs. Big pigs. We fed them. We washed them. Actually, we had, we had to wash the pigs once every week. There were some clean looking pigs. We cleaned the pig styes. And we were on what was called pig duty. And pig duty ran for a week and was in rotation. And we were supposed to get up at one in the morning to go and make our rounds through the styes and do the rounds of feeding them before getting ready for class at seven in the morning. And if we had pigs that were expecting, we took turns to monitor them at any particular time. There had to be someone at the styes. Why? Because pigs are careless. The mother, after giving birth, will crush its young. Because pigs will give birth to 15, 20, 25. And if it is hungry because it has all these piglets feeding, it gets hungry, it eats them. Yes, it does. That was the main reason. We had to take turns. And so we had to know when they were giving birth right to the date. We had charts on every pig. We had all the details about the pig. And so this prodigal son found himself in many ways on pig duty. Because he did not have anything else to eat, he also found himself eating and filling his stomach with the pods or the husks that the swine ate. For no one gave him anything. That's what the text says. He was not getting paid for his work and was broke as hell. He was broke. You see people see the circumstances of others in less fortunate situations and say to themselves, if it were me, I would never be on pig duty. That is false. It is only because God has not taken our choices away by taking us to a distant country and bringing severe famine with no one willing to help. With no one willing to help. If God changes the circumstances of your life or my life, I'll find myself, you'll find yourself in every government building <laughs> looking for footsteps. And anything and everything, looking for any husk or pod that your hands can lay on to put in your mouth. What is the point? The point is about humbling circumstances. The point is about humbling experiences. This is 
about God showing us our inability to help ourselves by taking things away from us. The only reason why you and I have not done some crazy things, granted we have done some crazy things, but we have not done some really crazy things that put us in jail because God has providentially kept our boundaries closed to doing crazy things. You will never hear James doing drugs. That's just something that I don't do. That's something that I've never done. But I have my own things that I do. And I am not doing drugs not because I'm good. It's because God has kept me from them. That's the only reason why. If God opens up and increases the distance and the boundaries, guess what? I'm doing drugs. And I speak from experience. When you have run out of options, everything tastes good. Onions taste good. Broccoli tastes good. (laughs) Even daddy's shoes taste good. (laughs) You go for anything. But spiritually, God has to take all his children to a place of severe spiritual famine. Before they can come to him, he has to take them into the wilderness to be tempted of the evil one so as to teach them of their inability and of their need of him. He always does. So we are told that things were so bad that the prodigal son would gladly and not reluctantly, he would gladly fill his belly with the pods that the pigs were eating. So the prodigal son joined himself out of want to a citizen of that far away country who worked him and paid nothing very important. The citizen of the far away country, we are going to identify who this citizen is. Who gives employment, works people, but never pays them. Very important theological point. Verse 17 to 19. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The son, we are told, came to his senses to a moment of truth, to a moment of revelation. He came to a situation where he saw that he had no option but to head back home. That was his revelation. A sinner cannot come to Christ as a second option. You cannot come to Christ as option B. The prodigal son did not eat the husks because the Kelly French fries at Abbey's were boring. He ate the husks because that was the only option that he had. And so when God brings us to Christ, he does not give us Christ as one among many options. One option. 
Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation and to come to that understanding is the repentance. The son came to a point of repentance. Repentance happens in the mind. Repentance from yourself and looking back to the father and saying there's nothing in me, nothing good happening in myself. I have to go back to the father. And so, having come to the end of himself, the prodigal son reasoned with himself and said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and yet I perish with hunger. So he reminded himself of the situation at home. The father apparently was rich and had servants who were living well. They were doing well. They had enough bread. And so he came up with a plan. He hatched up a plan. And this plan was about how he was going to work his way back into his father's favor. He hatched up a proposal by which he would approach his father and be reconciled to him. He wanted to get back into the favor of the father, even if it meant coming at a lower level, that of the hired servant, for anything is better than pig duty at this point. Pig duty is stinky. It is demeaning. And the food menu is not good. And so he thought that if he would lower his entry qualifications, If he would lower the entry qualifications for himself, the father would accept him based on his terms. He says he's on terms of being accepted back by the father. So he prepared his PowerPoint presentation and said to himself, yes, he is talking to himself at this point. He is talking to himself because Difficult circumstances, poverty has taken him to school. Hardship has taken him to school and dealing with pigs every day who have one talking to themselves. Remember also the rich man in Luke 12. He was so rich that he was talking to himself. What am I going to do? I'm going to take down my bands. <laughs> and then I'm going to say, so... Take it easy, man. You get you 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 have many goods. <laughs> so extreme poverty and extreme riches will cause a man to talk to themselves. So he thought the lowest entry point into his father's love would be by the way of servanthood, the way of work. We are working some theology here. He thinks he has lost his sonship and now has to do something. He has to work to regain it. Very important. Verse 20 to 21. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
So the son rose and came to his father. In spite of the many years in a foreign country, he still knew the way back home. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The father's love for his son. The father, it seems to me, somehow was expecting for his son to come back home. It sounds like he was always looking to this road that comes to his house. To see if there would be someone who looked like his son. For he saw his son from a distance. He had to be looking. There had to be one way that leads to the father's house. Not multiple ways. One way. And the father was always looking to see if he could see someone coming his way who looked like his son. The father did not see him the same way as he saw some strangers who were just passing by or coming to his house. He saw him by a seeing of recognition. Sister Kim is here. If I was at the mall, if I had gone to Cincinnati or some other place and I saw her yesterday, the seeing that I does of her is not the same seeing that, would have, that I would have done if I had seen her in January before I had ever seen her. So when I see her, I see her by a seeing of recognition that she is one of mine. That's the seeing. So the father saw the son by a seeing of recognition as one of his. So the father saw the way the son carried himself, the way he walked and identified him as his own. And that is why he ran. He has seen many people walk on this path to his house before, but did not run for them. But when he saw his son, he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That's the love that the father has for those that belong to him. Those that he sees from a distance. <laughs> but remember the son had prepared a speech. And as soon as he gets to the father, he immediately began to give it and said, verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The son acknowledges and owns his sin against the father, but draws a theological conclusion from it. He says, because I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, the conclusion is I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I have lost my sonship. The son thinks sonship can be lost. And once lost, one had to work to regain it. Even if it means taking some lower position and working his way up. Verse 22. And to 24. But the father said to his servants, 
bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. The father did not allow the son to finish his prepared speech. He only allowed it to go as far as acknowledging his sin. And before he could finish it, the father was already in action, giving out instructions. The father did not say, okay, son, what you did was horrible. You broke my heart. You almost caused me a heart attack. <laughs> Let me think about your situation. And then I'll, I'll get back to you in a few months. Rather, this is what the father did. He commanded his servants to bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And he says, bring out the fetid calf here and let's kill it and let us eat and be merry. So he commanded the servants to throw a huge homecoming party for him. The father apparently had some rich robes at home. The father had some rich robes at home. I don't think he went to the mall on Black Friday. Given the nature of the clothing items, these are things that were already in the possession of the father. These are not Black Friday sale items. This was clothing that was not put on anybody except royalty. Except royalty. And the reason why the father did all he did for his son was, for this my son was dead and is alive again, but he, he was lost and is found. So the celebration had to happen because this son who was dead is alive again was lost and is found. And that sounds like the celebration that Jesus earlier talked about in Luke 15:10 as the celebration that happens in heaven when a sinner comes to repentance. But as this is happening, the older son was not happy. He was not amused. So Jesus tells us and says, from verse 25 to 32, we're going to read that again. The reaction of the older son to what had just transpired. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he had music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fetid calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lord, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young God that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with hallows, you killed the fetid cow for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. 
for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The older son was not happy because of the way the father had received or treated his younger brother who had devoured his inheritance with riotous living. He wanted his younger brother to fully live or face the consequences of his sin without any kind of relief whatsoever, especially not from the father. The older son did not want his brother to be forgiven. So the older son was angry and would not even go in where the party was. He could not go in. He did not want to go in where the fetid calf had been killed. He did not go where the change of clothes had happened. That is where sins were being removed. Why? Because he saw himself to be righteous. For he said in verse 29 that I never, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. He sees himself as blameless before the law. He sees himself as blameless before the Father. That is, he saw himself as righteous in his own eyes. So the older son, because of his self-righteousness, is offended that the father has been gracious and forgiven his younger brother freely without cause. But who is the older son? We're going to work the identity of these people so that we'll bring the picture of the gospel closer. Who is the older son? Remember Jesus in this parable is talking about sinners. And salvation. And the parable does not begin in Luke 15, verse 11. It begins at the very beginning of the chapter, verses 1. And we are told the people that he was talking to. Luke 15, verses 1 and 2 says, Then all the text collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And that is the key to know who the older son is. It is the Pharisees and the scribes who are complaining to Jesus and accusing him of mixing and hanging out with sinners, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, instead of them who thought had never broken the law. Those who were good in themselves, the Pharisees and the scribes are these who thought were custodians of the law. It is they who are claiming to have kept the law and are mad that the sinners are not getting a just recompense for their sin. They are already stumbling at the gospel. But who is the older brother. In the text is the Pharisees and the scribes. But it doesn't end there. The older brother represents all people who think are good in themselves. What they don't know is that God does not save good people. God 
does not throw a party for good people. He does not save those who think are righteous in themselves. He only saves the lost, the dead, the wretched, the despised. Those who have nothing to bring to him are always featured on his guest list. Jesus said in Luke 14, 13, when you give a feast, invite, look at the list, the guest list. Jesus' guest list. Invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And this is not about the physical condition of these people. Jesus is not saying salvation belongs to those who are physically maimed. This is a spiritual description. They all have one thing in common. They have nothing attractive or good to boast about themselves. Everything about them is not working right. And so Jesus gives this, the story of the prodigal son to poke the Pharisees in their faces and to show them the true way of salvation. Salvation by grace alone. Jesus was spitting on their sense of self-righteousness. How can such a wicked man as this prodigal son be forgiven whilst all these good Pharisees and scribes who have kept the law are getting condemned? It is a scandal. It is a scandal how God has determined to save sinners. It is a scandal the kind of people that God has on his guest list. But who is the younger son? The younger son are all the sinners and tax collectors in this story. It is these who have been lost in sin. It is these who have squandered their own righteousness, their own goodness because of sin. Because of rioters living in a faraway country. Where is the faraway country? The faraway country. What is the faraway country? The faraway country or the distant country is a picture of our fall from God because of sin. Sin removed us. It increased the distance between us and God. It removed the close fellowship that we used to have with God. So the younger son had gone to a distant country as a type of our being removed from communion and fellowship with our father who loved us. The faraway country is a distant country from righteousness, far away from reconciliation with the father. In the faraway country, this is what happens. One eats with the pigs, no discernment of good things, spiritual things. Pigs eat anything, save for metal. In the faraway country, one eats the pods or the husks. Husks have no nutrition, very low nutrition, low quality food, food that is only fit for pigs, the lowly and unclean animals. 
They eat the pods of works righteousness, stripped of all nutrition, stripped of all righteousness. But this is what happens when you're in the faraway country. The faraway country makes one poor. It makes you maimed. It makes you lame. It makes you blind. It makes you poor because you have lost everything. You have nothing with which to bring before God to commend yourself before him. And say, God, look at me. Save me because I have a nice haircut. Look at me. No, you are maimed. You are lame. Look at your walk. It's crooked. It's crooked and you are blind. You are blind. You know nothing of salvation. When God came for you, you were blind. You knew nothing about Christ until he came for you. And he opened your eyes and brought you to himself. And in this distant country, if you are feeding on the husks, there's no satisfaction to be had from your own works of righteousness. And also that was pictured in that the citizen of that faraway country did not pay the prodigal son for his laboring. He did not pay him. In the faraway country, you work hard but reap nothing. You reap nothing. You work hard. Let's keep working. So who is this citizen or native of the distant country who hires people but does not pay them their due wages? We have to know him. Second Timothy 2, verses 24 to 26. 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 to 26. Apostle Paul says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So who is the citizen of the distant country? Sin is the citizen of this far away country. The devil is the citizen of this distant country who has rights He has legal rights to rule over it and to enslave all those who come to it. He gives employment but pays them nothing. Sin gets you working but pays nothing but death. The devil takes sinners captive to do his will and at the end of that, At the end of that captivity, what do they reap? They reap nothing but death. They are captive. This young man, this prodigal son, had been taken captive by this native of the distant land. Listen to Romans 6, verses 20 and 23, just to support that point again. Romans 6, 20 to 23 says, For when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. 
But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the prodigal son was in employment, had joined himself to the devil and to sin. And all sinners are in employment to the devil, whether they know it or not. They are sold to sin, working for nothing that profits in righteousness or salvation. And the end of all that laboring is death. The prodigal son was in captivity to the devil and did not come to his senses by himself. He was captive. It's God who granted him repentance. Apostle Paul says, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Why? And that they may come to their senses. The prodigal son had lost his senses. And escape. You don't escape if you are not in captivity. The prodigal son is in in captivity So he has to escape the snare of the citizen of the faraway country, which is the devil. Having been taken captive by him to do his will of feeding his swine. So the prodigal son, Armenians, would say, look, people have the ability to come to Christ by themselves. Look at the prodigal son that is false. The prodigal son was in captivity to the man that he was working for. He could not come to his senses until the father granted him repentance. And that brings us to the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Because when Jesus gave this parable, it was a continuous parable. They are not separate from one another. Those two parables that Jesus talked about prior to this one help us to understand the story of the prodigal son With good theology. Otherwise we end up teaching a free will gospel. And a free will gospel is a false gospel. The prodigal son. This is what is happening. Jesus has already supplied the details. The prodigal son was recovered by the good shepherd. And the woman who searched diligently for her last coin. This son was the sheep that was lost to sin and the devil. And it took the good shepherd to come and get him. Because here we are talking about salvation. Jesus is not talking about some lost son somewhere. He is talking about how God saves sinners. So it took the good shepherd to come and get the prodigal son. And that is why the father is always looking and expecting him to come. Because the father has sent the good shepherd. He has sent the good shepherd to get him. That is why the father has the expectation. And he is constantly looking towards the road that comes to his house. To say okay any day now. Any time now my son is coming back. Because the one that I have sent is faithful. And Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He is faithful. He will recover every one of his sheep that has been lost. So he was lost in a faraway country. 
he was the lost coin. And remember what Jesus said about the son, why the father was jubilant. He said, my son was lost. He now has been found. He was dead, but he's now alive. And by those statements, by that statement, he is referring to the two parables that came prior. The lost coin was dead. The coin was lying dead on the floor somewhere. It could not talk. It could not move. It did not shine. The lost coin could not announce where it was. It could not make a sound to say, Oh, mother, this is where I am. (laughs) It was only found when the woman turned on the light and diligently sought for it. She came and she was sweeping. So the prodigal son came to his senses, not by his own senses, but because of the good shepherd, but because of the woman with the lamb who was diligently searching and was sweeping every corner of the house. She shined her light of the gospel on him that he may see. The woman is Jesus Christ. And the lamp is the Holy Spirit. And the light is the gospel. So this is how God saves sinners. He sends his son, the good shepherd. That one is obvious. The woman, we had the ten coins and lost one of them. That's Christ. And he sends his Holy Spirit. And he brings his gospel to shine the light of Christ on them. And that's how we repent. Let us get some more understanding. We're getting close. The prodigal son was in a faraway country, a distant country, and living with pigs. When I was on pig duty, we are back to pig duty again. When I was on pig duty, we used to clean out their poop. These pigs lived a large life. I mean, this was very clean. We're doing this three, four times a day. But when you were cleaning their poop, the stench could not be removed from your clothes or your hands by washing and using deodorant. You could not remove the stench. It took at least a month for the stench to go away from your hands. If you use deodorant, it actually formed a new and worse stench. And what was remarkable about it was you never needed to tell people that you were on pig duty. Everyone knew that you were on pig duty because you always, yeah, it could not be hidden from anyone. So the prodigal son smells like a pig. He smells unclean and has not been taking a bath for a long time, even as he is walking home. Remember, it is a far away country, so he is not driving. He did not hire a taxi. He is walking back home. This is a long walk. He is sweating. He stinks even more. What is that saying? It is saying he lacks righteousness. The faraway country is sin land. It is Las Vegas land. (laughs) The sin city. The casino and the harlots have stripped him 
of everything that he had until he came back to the Father. Sin removes everything good and righteous from us. And everyone who has not gone back to the Father is still living in the distant country with no righteousness. Again, the distance or emphasis on far away country is for emphasizing the degree of separation between sinners and God. It is talking about the distance that we fell because of sin. It may not appear like there's such a huge chasm between us and God, but the distance is so huge that it needs a Godman to come and bridge it. Christ Jesus, the only mediator between those who have gone to the distant country and the Father. And the lyrics of the hymn, Deeper Than the Stain Has Gone, captures this very well. It says, I'm not going to read all of it, but it says, Dark the stain that soiled man's nature. Long the distance that he fell, far removed from hope and heaven. Into deep despair and hell, but there was a fountain opened and the blood of God's own son purifies the soul and reaches deeper than the stain is gone. Oh, unworthy, we who have wandered. Wandered where? Wandered to the far away country. And our eyes are wet with tears and we think of love that sought us through the weary, wasted years. Years of feeding and dining with the pigs in the distant country and working for nothing. Yet we walk the holy highway back home to the Father, walking by God's grace alone, knowing Calvary's fountain reaches deeper than the stain has gone. And so the Son proposed to come back to the Father, walking on the holy highway, but he did not know he was walking by God's grace alone. He walks back home hoping to be treated as one of his father's hired servants. He is thinking that the father is going to be mean with him. So he wanted to work his way back into the father's favor and forgiveness. He forgot that he was a son. He was elect. And his sonship could not be lost by years of wandering with the pigs and the harlots and being yoked to the citizen of this distant land. God has chosen us in Christ. And our salvation cannot be lost because of the pigs and the harlots and all the sin that we have done. Look at this. The lost sheep was only lost but still belong to the good shepherd, right? The lost coin was lost, but still belonged to the woman. The son was lost and still belonged to, to the father. That is election. So our sonship in Christ is by election. And sonship cannot be lost by sin. And because it cannot be lost it also cannot be gained 
by being a good and hardworking servant. Him. A servant cannot be a son. It is only according to the teaching of Jesus in John 8, the son that abides. The servant has a temporary position with the father, but you as sons have a permanent position with the father in spite of all the wilderness issues that you have. You don't lose your sonship. But so many approach salvation as if it is by works. As if one can graduate from being a servant by themselves into sonship. Sonship cannot be lost in spite of sin. No matter how many years of wandering in the distant land. You can wander in the distant land for 90% of your life. But if you belong to Christ, you never lose your sonship. You may not know it, but he will reveal it. Salvation cannot be end and cannot be lost by those who are sons, those who are elect in Christ, those who were predestined to be the children of God. And this, my brothers and sisters, is the reason why the father did not allow the son to finish his prepared speech. The father interrupted the speech of his son because it was a speech of works and not grace. God does not hear a speech of works, no matter how well prepared. So this is what the father's formula to restore his children to himself is. And this is the only formula that God uses to restore his children to himself. Listen to verse 22 to 24. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. See the three things that the father commanded to be done. Three things. Number one, to bring out the best robe and to put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. What is that saying? The best robe is only put on him after he took a good shower. Remember where he's coming from. He's coming from a distant land. He's coming from big duty. You can't put the best robe on someone who still stink. That is forgiveness of sins. Pay attention to this. The son did not put the robe by himself. The father commanded for the servants to put it on him. It is God who clothes us with his righteousness. And this was not just a clean robe that one of the servants used to use. But it was the best robe. In Zechariah chapter 3, the angels were commanded by the angel of the Lord, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, to put on not just robes, but rich robes on Joshua the high priest. Remember that. And if you still remember in Genesis 27, Rebekah took Esau's best clothes to cover the deceiver, Jacob, that the deceiver may get the birthright blessing. And so the father commanded that his son be stripped 
of his old garments, his old clothes, his sin, his unrighteousness, and be clothed on by the righteousness that he commanded, his own righteousness. Not only that, he commanded that the servants put a signet ring on his hand. This ring is a signet ring. It's a seal of righteousness. It's a seal of a covenant, just like we have our rings, wedding rings, marriage rings. It's a seal of authenticity. It's a seal. It's a down payment of our salvation. It is a type of the Holy Spirit. God has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment of our salvation. That is a seal of our salvation. Our salvation is irrevocable. Righteousness cannot be lost. But what else happened? Listen to this. The father commanded the killing of not just a calf, but a fatted calf. And why a fatted calf? Fat is for richness. It is for sufficiency. Because you're not going to have fat from a cow that is famished. Who is the fatted calf? Jesus Christ is the fatted calf. The fatted calf represents the sufficiency and richness of Christ to serve all those who have been lost. He has excess righteousness to give. Like I said, one only has fat when they have excess food. But listen to this. The sun could not be covered with new robes without the fetid calf being killed. Jesus Christ and his death is the basis of our being covered. He is our righteousness. Blood and not a prepared speech had to be shed for the son to get back into the favor with his father. Not by works, but by death. Not by works, but by grace. Why? Because one who is lost and dead can only be saved by grace. By being clothed by the righteousness of another through the death of another and being given a seal of that righteousness. So God the Father is the Father who welcomed back his lost son to himself. And after the son had been restored, what happened to him? He also was given a new pair of shoes. New shoes for what? So as to change his walk. He has to change his walk. And also, shoes are for protecting the feet from harm. For all those that the father serves will be given a new walk and they are also protected from danger. They are preserved by the father and none is lost. But listen to this as I close. Everyone who comes back to the father has to be one who has been to a faraway country. If you don't think that you have been to a faraway country, then the father has nothing to give you. If you think you are one of those who are good in themselves, you are like the son who remained at home, who refused to go where the party was, where the change of garments was, where the fetid calf was being slaughtered, where new shoes were being given. 
This is where the transaction of salvation was happening. So the Pharisees and the scribes were not saved because as typified by the older son, they even refused the overtures of what the father was doing. They died in their own self-righteousness. God has no problems receiving anyone who has sinned against him. He has no problems whatsoever. This is what they need to do to come back to him. Nothing. (laughs) Because a lot of people will give you five steps, ten steps. Oh, you have to stop this sin. You have to do this and do that. Give this much money and do all these things for you to be accepted. The son came and he was going to start working his way back to the father. And the father said, you stop it. You stop it. You cannot work your way back into my favor. You cannot buy yourself salvation. Salvation is 100% by grace alone. When he gives you repentance, the only thing that you do is acknowledge your sin before him. You confess. You agree with him and say, yes, father, I am a sinner. And he's glad to hear that. And that's all. That's all. And your sin will never be brought back to remembrance Listen to what happened with the father. The father said nothing about the sin of the son. Nothing. God will never bring anything that you ever did ever against you. He has forgotten. The only time that God has forgotten in the whole text of scripture is our sin. That's the only time that God ever forgot. He forgot our sins. But the reason that many are preaching and believing a gospel of works is because God has not taken them to the distant country to smell themselves and to feel their inability, their inadequacy. There are those who stayed at home, those who think they are obedient to God by their own goodness. These are the self-righteous ones who stand not on the robes that the Father gives, but on their own robes. And just a point of application, because I may never come back to this prodigal son until maybe 15 years from now, the Lord willing. Just as a point of application, but I think this is useful. Because of where we have come, every believer who comes to Christ is coming from a faraway country. What that means is we all have been serving and doing pig duty In different ways. And we stink. We smell. We have a lot of issues that we still have. Forgiven as we are. And the way. The only way that we can deal with each other in peace. That I can forgive. That I can really love someone. Who is still smelling of the distant country. But everybody is still smelling. You still have some of that. Distant country. Smell. You've been working the pigsties. The only way I can do that is if I understand that you have come from a very far away country. And that it takes time to wash away all that stench. It takes time, humanly speaking. But as far as the work of our salvation is concerned, it's complete. But as far as how we deal with, with each other, if we don't understand justification by grace alone, We can never deal with each other as brothers and sisters. So, the Apostle Paul says, as often as you eat this bread 
and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We keep preaching the killing of the fetid calf and the changing of clothes as the only hope of those who have gone to a distant country who came back smelling like pigs and had been feeding on the husks of man-made religion, false religion, works righteousness that does not fill the belly or give nutrition. We continue to preach the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace and the righteousness of Christ as our only hope of salvation. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your holy throne again. Lord, to worship you and thank you that you were gracious to send us the good shepherd of the sheep to recover us from the distant land. For we were gone and never to come back. And we had joined ourselves to the citizens of that distant land, sin and the evil one, and laboring with the pigs, feeding them with the husks, and also feeding on the pause ourselves, the pause of self-righteousness, the pause that could never give life. And yet by your graciousness, you also sent the Holy Spirit with the gospel and we were recovered. We who were lost but are now found. We who were dead but are now alive. Thank you, Lord, for the diligence of the woman who was searching, who turned on the light. Thank you for the diligence of the good shepherd who did not give up to look for his sheep and he carried his sheep on his shoulders and brought them home and he threw a party and said, this son of mine who was lost has been recovered. So Lord, may you cause your people to see the hope and glory of how you actually save sinners, that it is only by the work of Christ, the blood of the fetid calf that we have been covered in the robes, the best robes of righteousness. It's only by the sealing of the Holy Spirit that we will never get lost because your salvation is without repentance. We thank you, Lord, for your people. We thank you for this time of communion. May you bless all those who shall hear. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.